Hey everyone, my name is Josh Scroggins, a pastor of New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey everybody, welcome back to our podcast. Uh, We uh, started something last week, we're going to finish it up today. And uh, we're looking at the way Jesus mentored and trained his disciples. Uh, We're going to go right back here to John 14, 12. It says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Jesus the Son of God who came, who, who healed people, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he preached the gospel. Uh, Jesus, that guy, <laughs> says, greater works than these he will do who believes in me. Now that is a big, big statement. How in the world is it possible that the people who believe in him, the disciples of Jesus, could possibly do greater works than Jesus? Well, there is, uh, there is a simple way you can do that. You can either produce better quality, which is not possible, or you can produce more quantity. And in this case, that is what we're talking about, is quantity over quality. Uh, none of us are going to be able to live the perfect life that Jesus lived. None of us are going to be able to teach the perfect way that Jesus taught. However, Jesus' ministry on earth only existed for about three years. And um, it was very limited to a small area, right? A very small area in Israel. However, the church that comes from that movement, the people who follow Jesus, would take that gospel to the world. There would be people saved all around the world. There would be miracles done all around the world. And so the things that Jesus did on earth would be multiplied and grown. And that is why we have called this series of podcasts, this series of messages, the Duplication Doctrine. It shows the power of duplication. And last week we uh, we were looking at this this concept of Jesus discipling the disciples, Jesus mentoring his disciples. And as we we looked at that, we found that there are some steps that Jesus used that apply to us. And as we do this again, see if you can find yourself in one of these steps. Where are you at? If you're being mentored uh, or if you're mentoring someone else, what step are they on? What step is coming next? So let's jump right in. I'm going to do a quick summary of what we talked about last week, and then we're going to get to the uh, the last uh, couple of points that we'll spend most of our time in. Uh, number one, the very first step of discipleship, of mentorship, is selection. Jesus chose 12 people to be his disciples, and we need to choose people whom we can lead and mentor. What are the qualifications that we look for? Remember the word fat, (laughs) F-A-T, faithful, available, teachable. 
That's what we're looking for, and that's who we are looking to be in order to be uh, who we should be, in order to be someone who can be mentored, in order to find people who are mentorable. <laughs> I don't think that's actually a word. I think I just made that up. But mentorship begins with selection, and we are looking for people who are faithful, who are available, and teachable. The person that's being mentored selects the mentor, and the mentor selects those who they will mentor. So, so both the mentor and the mentee, both the teacher and the student are selecting each other. And in both cases, there is selection happening. It is just as important as it is to find a fat Christian to mentor as we need a fat Christian to mentor us. And again, faithful, available, teachable, fat, F-A-T. We need those kinds of people. Uh, number two is association. Once we've selected our mentor, or the person we are to be mentoring, the next step is to associate ourselves with them by spending time with them. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the disciples were called simply to be with Jesus, to follow him, to spend time with him. Three straight years, uh, unless Jesus is getting off alone for a little while, and he did do that from time to time, he nearly spent every moment with these men. Discipleship is rooted in relationship. Uh, the next step here, uh, step number three, is consecration. Right. So Jesus calls his disciples to turn away from sin, to sacrifice their own personal interests. Well, part of discipleship is this. It's accountability. It is about calling out the person that we're discipling, pointing them to turn to Jesus and his teachings. Jesus did not just call these men to do a job. He called them to live a life that would honor God and would be an example for those that they would lead later on. In other words, Jesus was not calling them to a position. He was calling them to a life. He was not calling them to uh, a job qualification. He was calling them to a standard of living. And as mentors, that is something we should do. You could, you could have all the things in the world... Um, and yet you could still have no morals, right? You can, you can have uh, success in this world, at least temporarily, and have no character underneath. And as Christian mentors, what we are looking to do is not to build the person into a position. We are to build the person, uh, their character, their morals, their, their uh, standard of, of living, the things that they hold themselves to, so that they live a life that is holy. And that is the foundation on which everything else is built. And essentially, what, what we do in this part of the process is we help them build a foundation. Jesus actually tells a parable about this, right? Where there is two men building a house, and there's a wise man and a foolish man, and we don't know at the beginning of the story which one is which. If you're just looking at the outset, right? One man is building a house, the other man is building a house. Uh, in fact, if anything, the foolish man would sure seem to be the wise man from the outset because his house went up much, much quicker, and he's living in his house and he's enjoying it. Meanwhile, the other guy is digging into rock and building a foundation. So if you're looking at it from the outset, it would appear that one man is far more competent because he got his house done much faster. However, when the storms came, when the wind came, when the waves came, when the rain came, uh, one house was left standing. 
And the storm is what proved which one was the wise man and which one was the foolish man. And as mentors, we are to teach people to build a good foundation. Because if we don't do that, then when the storms come, and I, and I say when, not if, when the storms come, because they will, if we have not taught them to build a good foundation first, the entire house, the entire uh, process, the entire life that they have been building up until that point will crash and burn. Mentorship is not about getting someone to do something. It's about showing them how to be the person God made them to be, to discover the purpose he created them for and to live to the standard of holiness. So when we're talking about duplication, we're not talking about duplicating our job. We're talking about duplicating faith. We're talking about duplicating passion. We're talking about duplicating character. We're talking about holiness and passion for God. All right. Uh, number four is impartation. Jesus gave himself to them and for them. The, the foundation of their entire relationship was based in Jesus's love for them and his own self-denial. Jesus served them. And as mentors, we are to impart into those we are mentoring. We are to serve them first before we ever ask them to, to, to step out and, and really do anything for us. We must start by serving them and showing them that we have their best interest in mind. We are not doing this for our own benefit. We are doing it for theirs. Jesus serves them. He feeds them. He provides for their needs. Uh, he, he, he washes their feet and ultimately he dies for them. And if we are meant to disciple someone, we start by first serving them and loving them. And after that, a person will will understand that you care about them. There's, there's an old saying that says, uh, a person will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. And as we are mentoring someone, it is extremely important before we ever really begin teaching, before we ever really begin um, to to tell them how much we know about something, that we show them how much we care. Uh, the next step is demonstration, and uh, that is step number five. Jesus actually teaches his disciples by showing them, by demonstrating it, by uh, being that example. He approached strangers. He loved people. He performed miracles. He cast out demons. He fed people. He taught people. He demonstrates grace and mercy to the outcasts of society. He uh, challenged religious tradition when it contradicted God's standards. Jesus actually, at the beginning, was doing ministry, and the disciples were just watching him do it. If you've ever had a job where you had to be trained ahead of time for something, then you'll understand the importance of this. One of the, one of the best things you can do at the beginning of a job while you're being trained is to actually just shadow someone and watch them do the job. Learn how it's done. Watch them how they how they interact with customers. How do they um, how do they put these things together? Maybe it's a, a a factory, and you're learning how do they use these tools or how to use this equipment. Uh, all of this is important, and and just watching someone demonstrate the right way something is done, right? How do you how do you fill out this paperwork? Um, all of that is important, and that demonstration is extremely important. The disciples learned how to pray by hearing Jesus pray. They learned how to use the word by observing the way that Jesus handled it. 
They learned how to minister by watching Jesus minister, and eventually they became evangelists. But they learned how to do that by watching Jesus' demonstrations of evangelism. There's there's a saying that, that discipleship is easier caught than taught, and that is that is so true. We must demonstrate so that people can catch the vision and catch the the um, the passion to grow and to learn how to do things. Not by us just teaching them, but by us doing it and allowing them to just catch it. The people you mentor, the people you lead, the people you disciple, they need to be doing the very things that they they need you uh, to be doing the same thing. They need to see you doing the things you're asking them to do. They need to see you do those things. They, they, uh, they need to understand that you believe what you say. So, so they need to understand before you've ever asked them to do something, you've demonstrated it. They need to understand that that uh, you believe it. They need to see how it's done. And and as we are mentoring others, this should be our attitude. Our attitude should be to strive to demonstrate the traits that we hope they will imitate. Number six is delegation. And this is the last step that we talked about in our last episode. Jesus was still doing ministry at this point, but now the disciples were assisting him. They were going ahead to the cities to make arrangements for the stay. They were helping to organize crowds. The disciples were gathering crowds from around the area, bringing them back to hear Jesus speak. Uh, We actually looked in the last episode at the miracle uh, that Jesus performed where he was feeding thousands and thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And when the disciples said the crowd is hungry, Jesus' statement to them, which always makes me laugh, was, you feed them. <laughs> and, and why did he do that? Well, it was, it was a test of faith to get them ready for stretching. Uh, Jesus was planting a seed. He was putting it in them so that when he did the miracle, they could look back and remember what he said at the beginning. They could, they could look back after seeing Jesus multiply the food and feed these thousands of people and do this miracle. They can look back at it and say, you know what? He, he said for us to do that. I wonder if we could have, if we would have just had enough faith, if we would have just uh, trusted him. I wonder if maybe we could have done what he did. And he does this all the time, right? He, he, he looks at them several times and he says, you have little faith right before he does a miracle they couldn't do. What he was doing was telling them that if you had had enough faith, you would be able to do this. So Jesus does this all the time to plant seeds in them that will grow later, to help them see the spark of potential that is in them. He, he doesn't tell people, this is just beyond you. He doesn't tell his disciples, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do these miracles, but you couldn't do them. So stand aside and let me do what I'm doing. No, he actually says, you have little faith. to let them know that if they would have enough faith, they could do the same thing. Remember, that's what Jesus said. The one who follows me, he will do the same works that I've done and even greater works. So what Jesus was trying to teach them and try to put into them is if you've seen me do it, you could do it too. The disciples, though, in this part of the phase, this delegation part of it, they're just helping. Uh, for instance, where did the little boy come from that had the food? Well, the disciples found him. How, how? Who's telling the crowd of thousands of people to sit? The disciples did. How did Jesus get food to the people? Surely not by himself, right? The disciples had to go and, and pass it out. How did the leftovers get collected? The Bible tells us the disciples did that. So for the first time, uh, the, the mentor... Is, is now allowing the person that they are mentoring to have a hand in what is happening. Now, 
they might not be running everything. They may not be the one in charge. They may not have a ton of authority at this point, but they at least have a hand in it. They have some ownership in what is happening. They've got a little skin in the game. They've, they've got just a, just a little bit of participation. They have a little bit of ownership, and that goes a long, long way. Uh, now again, that's where we left off last last episode, and so uh, in this in this episode, we're going to look at the last couple of points, and I'm going to take my time on these uh, because they're really the two final steps that Jesus took to prepare his disciples to build a movement that would take the world after he left. And if you're mentoring someone else, even if it's your kids, these steps might seem familiar. Because the fact is that that other than maybe selection, we don't choose our kids unless unless they're adopted. Then we did, um, but other than than choosing to you know your kid, I, I, I pick that one. Um, everything else that we do in the mentorship process applies to children as well. Raising kids, we have uh, selected the person that we're going to pour into. Uh, we have spent time with them to build a relationship. We've helped them work through personal struggles and challenges to get a better handle on their personal life. We've taken time to serve them and love them. We've demonstrated in front of them the values that we cherish and want them to have a part of and learn and imitate. And, and finally, we have started including them in the work of delegating small tasks to them that allow them to have some ownership in the results and to get comfortable doing something instead of just watching. But now it is time for the final steps. It is time that, that they really start feeling stretched. And that is where step number seven comes in, and that is supervision. Luke chapter nine, verses one and two, it says this, Jesus, uh, he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all the demons and the power to heal diseases. Then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Suddenly now they have a hands-on experience. They're not just helping Jesus do some stuff. They're actually going out and doing ministry. Now they weren't left alone. Jesus, Jesus was there with them. He, he, uh, he was mentoring them during that time. He's, he, they're working under his authority, right? He gives them the power and authority to do this. They're working under his supervision. They're working under his authority. In fact, in Mark 6.30, it actually tells us that the disciples came together with Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. Well, why were they reporting? Well, so he can give some feedback. So he can uh, he can give them some coaching. He can tell them, yeah, that was great and give them encouragement and uh, maybe maybe say, yeah, you could have worded that a little bit better or, um, you know, here's, here's, some, here's some opportunities that I saw or I'm hearing. Uh, here's some places that, that you really excelled and do more of that next time. Jesus was able to coach. He was able to supervise. This is really the, the phase where the big stretches start happening. Jesus kept check on them. He, he used uh, their experiences to instruct them further. This was kind of on-the-job training, right? This is, this is at its best. This is on-the-job training. They were given adequate room to work, to learn, um, and yet never without his concern and guidance as it was needed. At this point, Jesus is actually entrusting the ministry that he's doing into their hands, and he's just supervising. He is still the main teacher. He is the one that is is uh, is doing the teaching, and yet he's not the only one who's doing miracles now. He's not the only one casting out demons. He's not the only one going and and sharing the gospel and and teaching people about God. Um, 
suddenly now the disciples are taking what they learned and they're running with it and they're they're growing right there there's a a, a big step that happens here and and Jesus, what he does is he gives them his authority to work under. He gives them guardrails, and that's kind of kind of what we see here. Um, you know, he specifically told them what he was giving them authority to do. Right? He didn't say, "Okay, uh, go do whatever you want." Now, no, he says, "I'm giving you authority to cast out demons. I'm giving you authority to heal the sick." And here's what I want you to go do. Here's what I want you to go. So, what is it? It's instruction, right? They were not totally on their own yet. And as mentors, this is this is what we do. We we will give someone a little bit of instruction, a little bit of direction, and allow them to take some ownership in ministry. Now, now we are just supervising. They're not just helping out with menial tasks. No, they are doing the bulk of the ministry now, and we are supervising and coaching and directing them. They're doing the bulk of whatever it is that we're doing. And, and maybe maybe that means if you are say for instance if you're mentoring uh, a person that is a young christian maybe that means that you're asking them to uh to lead a bible study uh, maybe that means you're you're saying okay now you're gonna uh you're gonna teach your family right here's here's some um here's some scriptures and you know here's here's a bible study book and I want you to to take uh, to take each night this week and and i want you to lead your family through a bible study and then report back to me, tell me how it went, right? So what we're doing is we're supervising and that could mean a lot of different things. But what it does mean is this, it does mean that they have ownership now in the ministry that they're doing. It means that we give them guardrails, we give them direction, we give them guidance, and then we give them feedback and correction and praise. We, we let go. And we allow people to work with as little instruction from us as possible. And then we help them to learn and grow from experience. Before this phase has happened, their entire teaching and entire learning is coming from us and from what they can read. Right? So maybe they're reading God's word. But but when you get to this phase, the supervision phase, they now have another teacher. And that teacher is experience. They're finally able to learn from their own experiences, from their own successes, and from their own failures. And I will say this, as, as a pastor, this is, this is one of the things that um, I, I think has a, it's missed a lot, it's misunderstood a lot. As a pastor, my job is not to do all the work of the ministry. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is the role of a mentor as well. We are to equip others to do the work God has called them to do and created them for. We cannot do that as long as we are doing everything for them. As a pastor, my job is not to do everything at our church. In fact, if I was doing everything in our church, we would fail. And we would fail spectacularly because I can't do everything. Number one, I don't have the energy or the time or the ability to do all that. But I'm also, there's things I'm not good at. I'm just, I'm just not good at. And if I were the one doing them, we would have problems. Like I'm not, I'm not great at it. And so there are, there are people in our church though, who are extremely good at doing what I am extremely bad at doing. We have people in our church who uh, they're they're in they're so gifted in areas 
and they just need someone to encourage them to step out. My job as a pastor is, is not to do that work for them. My job as a pastor is to equip them so that they can work in the gifts and the abilities and the passions and the calling that God put on their life. God did not create the people in my church just to sit in a pew. God created them to do something incredible and meaningful and, and powerful. And if I don't create opportunities for them to do that, if I don't equip them to do what God made them to do, I'm failing in my job as a pastor. And if you're mentoring someone, you need to understand that your job as a mentor is not just to do everything for that person. At some point, you're going to have to let go and allow them to start learning from experience. Your job as a mentor is to equip them your job as a parent is the same way, right? You can't, you can't take care of your kids' needs their entire life. At some point, they need to move out. At some point, they need to get a job. At some point, they've got to learn to start doing things for themselves. So your job as a parent is to equip that kid for the time where they become an adult, where they have to learn on their own, where they have to do things on their own. Your job as a parent is to equip them to do that. My job as a pastor is to equip the people in my church to do what God called them to do. At some point, we must empower the person enough that they can step out and do it for themselves, but with direction, with feedback, and with boundaries. Now, Pastor, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think, I don't, I don't think you understand what your role is supposed to be. That, that doesn't sound right to me. I, I think pastors need to do everything in the church. Well, let me just, let me just read real quick here in Ephesians, chapter four, verses eleven and twelve. It says this, and He, that's God. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the job of a pastor is this, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ can be edified. If I'm not equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, the body of Christ will not be edified. I rob the entire body of Christ just because I want to do it myself. That's a big statement, but it's true. And I'm going to just tell on myself for a minute, this, this is hard for me. It really is. This is hard for me. I have a really hard time letting go of things, and I am used to doing things uh, for myself and for others. I, I love to serve others. I, I enjoy it. Um, I feel like it, it, it is an important thing to do. But one of the things that is difficult for me is to, to understand that stepping back and allowing someone to serve me is also serving them as well checking my own ego and allowing them to get the blessing of service the same way that I get blessed when I serve them is is a form of service this uh, this thing that I I, I, I I struggle with is number one I'm uh, there's there's things I do I do well and they're not technically what my job is as a pastor and I have a real hard time stepping back and letting someone else do something if I think I, I, I'm doing that pretty well I don't, I don't think I don't think they could do it as good or, or, or maybe I think someone's gonna have to I, I mean I hate to see people fail 
And so it's really hard to step back far enough to let them learn from the sting of failure. The fact is failure, we have this weird concept in our mind that failure is a bad thing, right? But, but it's not as long as you learn from it. As long as you can recover, as long as you can learn, failure is actually a wonderful teacher. We learn how to walk by falling over. We learn how to ride a bike. Failure's a part of that process. If you, if you do not allow people to fail, you will never allow them to grow. Failure is a part of the learning process. And if we could come to a point where we don't, don't fear failure, but instead we embrace it as a wonderful teacher, if we say, you know what, I'm okay with failing. I, it's gonna happen, I'm gonna fail. As long as I don't fail the same way twice, I'm fine. <clears throat> then, then it's fine. But here's the thing is, is this, this thing in me that doesn't want to, to, to let go, that is not a strength. It's a weakness and I'm working very hard to overcome it. And, and at our church, we're about to do this in a, in a big way. A matter of fact, uh, we're, we're about to have a, a, an entire month, um, four weeks straight of people that are not me preaching in, in our pulpit. And I've never done this before. I, I've never, ever done this before. Um, matter of fact, I am, uh, I'm about to start my sixth year, um, or my seventh year in ministry. I'm finishing up my sixth year um, in November. That's a big deal. And uh, I did a couple years in Corvallis. I've, I've got about eight years as a pastor under my belt, and, and I'm about to start my, my ninth year. But my seventh year here, I've never done this before, where, uh, where we have this many people one week after another. Now, why are you doing this, Pastor? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, uh, we are about to begin a series called Too Good Not to Tell that we're going to talk about sharing testimony. And so we're going to have week after week after week of people that are sharing their testimony and just demonstrating how how naturally it can be done, how easy it is to tell your story. Uh, I think we get, we get intimidated by that. The second thing is, though, that uh, my son Asher is going to be born in that in that time frame, and I want some time to just spend with my wife and and, and help her as best I can. Um, anybody who's had a newborn knows there's a there, it is a it is a full time job, and so um, we are we're going to have some people sharing in that time. <clears throat> uh, but it's something that that I work on, right? Is 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 empowering others. Um, and no, I'm not stepping out of my role as as the pastor. Uh, in fact, I'm embracing it and I'm growing in it like never before. Because again, my job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry in order to edify the body of Christ. And at a certain point, I wouldn't be doing my job of equipping people if I didn't give them opportunities to actually do the ministry. What's more, the thing that edifies the body of Christ, that, that the best is when the saints are equipped for the work of ministry. You can edify the body of Christ in a lot of ways. I can I can edify my church through teaching, but it doesn't work as well if the rest of the people aren't equipped. And and this step of supervision is, is still very difficult for me and, and for, for several people for a couple of reasons I want to share with you. There's, there's four main reasons. Um, that I can give, and maybe you'll relate to some of these. But here's here's four reasons that people find it difficult to let go and and step back and just supervise. All right. So uh, first of all, you don't want the person to experience failure because it hurts, and you care about the person. 
and I don't want someone to experience the sting of failure and and because I know that hurts it's difficult it, it messes with your confidence it, it, it can really uh, it can really be be damaging it can you know failure is is a very painful thing um, and so we 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 don't want someone to fail and so a lot of times we don't want to empower them because we're afraid they might fail well here's here's some good news for you no one gets it perfect the first time or the second time or any time right <laughs> making mistakes is part of learning you're not doing it perfect right now uh, there's nothing you're doing that is perfect and so don't worry about it don't worry about them failing it's it's okay it, it's okay and let them know it's okay make sure they understand failure is fine we, we, we want them to do as best as they can. We know that there are going to be opportunities to grow. We know some things they're going to try, they're not going to work. And it's okay. Failure is fine. Failure is okay. Failure is always an option. As long as we learn from it. Here's, here's the next thing. You don't want to maybe give up what you're doing and let them do it because they're not as good as you, right? Maybe you're doing something a whole lot better than they can do it. And you know that. You know that the standard that they're going to to do this job to is not as good as what you're going to do. Well, John Maxwell says that if a person can do it 80% as good as you, that is good enough, let them do it. Um, Craig Groeschel, who is the pastor of uh, Life Church actually says if they have if they can do it at 70% as good as you with momentum let them do it here's the thing that we need to understand you didn't start off doing things at your current level you grew into the role you grew into the job you got better as you did it more so you have to allow the person to grow into it and it requires us to give them some grace and no the quality is going to suffer for a little while that's just part of the process, but we need to do that. Because when you allow someone to take over something you're doing, even if you're very, very good at it, it allows you now more time and more energy to focus on the other things that you're doing and do them to an even higher level. And the more things you can pull off of your plate and allow others to begin doing, the higher the bar you can, you can um, uh, do ministry to, the higher uh, quality you can do in other areas of your life and other things that you're doing. Here's the third thing um, that I, I think people struggle with, and this is this is really big, by the way, for pastors. I think this is this is one of the biggest reasons that a lot of ministers, uh, and and not just senior pastors, but youth pastors, children's pastors, um, but I think this works across the board. Sometimes the reason that people don't want to move into a supervisory position is because. You're, you're afraid people are going to see you as lazy because you're not the one doing the work now. Someone else is doing the work. You're supervising. And and that's difficult, right? It, it's one of these things. And I'm telling you, as pastors, it's this is something that we struggle with. This is something that goes through our mind is that if I'm supervising and other people are doing all the ministry, I'm going to look like I'm lazy. And we often think that if we don't look as busy, then people will think that we aren't being as productive. Right? And it's one of my big struggles. I, I've learned, though, that the most productive thing I can do is to step back and let others shine. And if I can do this successfully, then I have successfully duplicated myself in that area. And now there are two people to do the same amount of work. And we can be twice as productive. And if I can do it again, now we're three times as productive. If that person can also do it, we're four times productive. And so the, the amount of work that's being done, if you can duplicate yourself, you actually are being far more productive. 
even though some people will always hassle you about it. You might get teased about it. Just, just suck it up and deal with it. That's, that's your job as a mentor is to allow people to do the work. And, and you cannot allow outside influences and opinions to affect that. And, and here's the last, here's the last uh, thing that I think is, is another struggle that, that I wrestle with and, and a lot of people do. Um, maybe you don't want to go into a, a supervisory thing and really let go and let other people do ministry or let other people do it because you you think if you give up any of your jobs right if you give up any of the things that you're doing and your to-do list is smaller and and your job description is shorter that that makes you less valuable uh, maybe this person is you know you're, you're afraid hey this person's going to become more valuable than me they're going to take my job uh, they're going to just steal it right out from underneath me I, I i've i've known pastors who had a really difficult time um, training and mentoring other pastors because they were afraid that this person would actually steal their ministry out from underneath them. And and that's sad. It, it's horrible. There's, there's people in jobs all around this world that are supervisors and they don't want to train people to do things because they're afraid it'll make them less valuable. But let me just let you in on a little secret. It does feel true, but feelings can lie. The truth is that people who can duplicate themselves are the most valuable people in a team. And if you are a pastor and you are successfully training other pastors underneath you and you are building the kingdom of God, you don't have to worry about them stealing your church out from underneath you. Here's why. It is not your church. It is God's church. And God will promote someone like that. God will work with you. If, if that's what you're doing, you're extremely productive. And you can trust that God will make sure you're fine. The most valuable person in a team is the one who can duplicate themselves. Supervision, <coughs> excuse me, it takes place within specific moments. It's that moment that you let your child take their first step on their own, or the moment that you let go of the handlebars as they're learning to ride a bike. It's the moment we had a, a lady in our church named Nellie, um, and I'd been I'd been on her to preach for a long time, and it was the moment where she got up to preach for the first time. It's it's a moment we tell uh, the, the uh, Tad, uh, he's my media guy, that that minute media ministry it's now his to run. And there's some guidelines, there's there's some guardrails, there's a little bit of supervision, but I just said you know this is this is yours. I trust you. Um, we have a guy named Mark that, that comes early and, and is our greeter. Well, the, the first time that he did that, I went through with him all of all of the steps and what I what I expected of that job. And then you know what I did? I did not sit right next to him and, and watch him do it the whole time. I trusted him to do it. And he's doing phenomenal. You know, there's there's this weird thing where, where people's like, well, I, I don't know if I can trust them to do the job. You know how you you know how you you, you learn to trust someone? You learn to trust someone by trusting someone, and uh, that that's scary, but that's the truth. Well, part of the process that we're talking about here, it involves trial and error. It involves faith and trust. It involves learning and pain, and ultimately, it helps the person that we are mentoring to learn to stand on their own two feet. It might be as small as asking the person to lead a prayer. Uh, it might be as big as asking them to lead a Bible study that you're hosting at your house. It might even be as big as asking them to take a, the lead on a project or head up a team of people. Part of the mentorship process is helping them to learn to stand on their own two feet so they will be ready for the last step. And the last step, step number eight, is 
duplication. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, this was Jesus. He came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The very final step of the duplication process happens when the person that you have been mentoring begins mentoring someone else. They are now taking things that they have learned from you and they're passing on those things to another person. My son Asher is going to be born in just under a month. I'll be teaching him things that my parents taught me. My wife Chelsea will be teaching him things that her parents taught her. What's more, we'll be teaching him things that other mentors in our lives have poured into us. Same thing happens here uh, at our church when people take what they've learned on a Sunday or when you take what you've learned in this podcast and you're passing it on to your children or your friends, or your co-workers or family member, or neighbor, anyone else that's in your circle. This is the ultimate goal of discipleship is to create disciples, people who will take what they've learned and run with it and teach others and multiply and duplicate themselves. Now at this stage, the mentor is still present but it's no longer offering any advice unless it's asked for, aside from maybe a short warning if that mentor sees danger. Right? Uh, Jesus leaves the earth after giving this command to his disciples, but he sent them a new mentor. That mentor was called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prompts us when something's wrong, right? gives a little warning flag, but he does not barge into our lives and take over. This is the same situation with parenting. When, when you uh, are, are a child, your parents run your life because there's so much about this world you don't know. As you get older, your parents give you more and more responsibility until eventually you move out on your own. And sometime after that, you'll have your own children. <clears throat> your parents are still there to help mentor you and guide you, but they aren't responsible for barging into your house and telling you how to raise your kids. They're simply there to warn you if they see dangerous patterns or a red flag and give you advice when you ask for it. See, being a mentor will cause us to grow deeply. I, I know that in a month, Chelsea and I are in for a lot of growth as we become parents. So let's bring this home. Jesus has done all of this for you. He selected you, he made you for purpose. You've been associated with him and he has been associated with you. You've been consecrated, called to live a holy life. Jesus imparted himself into us through his sacrifice on the cross and through all of the teaching recorded in scripture. He demonstrated how to minister, how to love others, and how to disciple others and mentor them. He invited us to take part in what his spirit is doing in this world. What is that? It's delegation. And he has promised us that he will always be with us as we do ministry, supervision. Finally, Jesus instructed us to make disciples, that is duplication. This is what Jesus did for you. The question is, will you do your part and will you teach others to do the same? God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We will see you next week. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.